And as we look at and turn to Genesis chapter 1, which by the way, if you're using a Bible provided for you, just turn to page number 1. How easy is that? As you're turning there, I want to ask you a few questions this morning. And I think we would all answer in the affirmative to these things. Is your heart ever full of worry? Have you ever had a heart full of worry, a heart burdened with worry? Do you ever feel lonely? You feel as if no one can understand you. Have you ever been afraid in the midst of the unknowns of life, of trials, of health scares, or any difficulties? Do you many times get frustrated when life doesn't seem to make sense? You see, in the midst of all of this worry, all of this fear, all of this loneliness, frustration, do you ever take a moment to pause, to look around you at all that God has made and listen to what it's declaring to you? To just listen. Did you know the Bible says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Every day that we, that, that we arise, creation is pouring out its declaration of God. And it says, in night to night it reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. God's creation's everywhere. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. To look around and to see that, that your God, the God of, of all the universe, of everything that is, has created all of these things in an orderly fashion. And this same God is in control of your life. I remember uh, in our first ministry in Virginia, um, which was a, a difficult ministry, our first year ever out of school and in ministry, it was a difficult year. And I remember sometimes just sitting in my car, just thinking, and then watching as birds would randomly go into the grass and eat worms. And, and it was such a reminder, like Jesus said, that God cares even for these little birds. Folks, that's creation declaring the greatness of God. The heavens, Psalm 19 says, are declaring something and something very specific. They're proclaiming the God of the universe and they're proclaiming Him in all of His glory, all of His power, all of His splendor. And still today, creation declares the reality and greatness of God. We're going to look this morning at the revelation of God's creation. 
And then we're going to take a break as we have creative ministries. We have Easter. We're going to look, secondly, after all of those things are done, at the implications of God's creation for our lives. But we're going to see that even in the demonstration of God's creation, that there are things for us as God's people to know and to live by. Let's say our main theme throughout this series, let's say it together, God's people are called to both know and to live. And this morning we're going to look at the revelation of God's creation. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we study your word today from the very first pages of Scripture, God, I pray that you would minister to our hearts. Lord, as we see the greatness of your creation, and Lord, how that reflects just a, a small microcosm of your greatness. Father, may we be encouraged today to live in light of the greatness of the God we serve. Lord, if we're struggling in areas of our lives, may we see that every aspect of our life you are bringing about for a purpose. For Lord, if you can care and you can create for uh, so great a creation, surely you can care for the needs that we have. Father, would you, would you through the, the Holy Spirit reveal your truth through your word to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at the revelation of God's creation, we are first of all going to see that God's glory is revealed through his creation. God's glory is revealed in his creation, and we see that right from Genesis 1. But before we talk about this glory that God so magnificently reveals to us, I want to give some preliminary thoughts regarding the scriptures. First of all, we have to realize that the scripture and the scripture alone ultimately reveals who God is. You may remember that we were talking a few weeks ago when we looked at the, the teaching of the Bible. What, what does the Bible say about itself? That it's the authority with which we live. It is, it is the very message of God. But you remember we talked about three purposes of why the Bible was given to us. It was given to us to reveal who God is, to reveal who we are, and to reveal God's great rescue plan. You see, Scripture reveals God. We are looking this morning at the first of the three reasons of why the Bible was given to us. It reveals who God is. Now, many times we, we releg relegate the Bible to simply be a textbook of answers. So when we come up against, for instance, the evolution-creation debate, and we'll talk briefly about some of that this morning, but we have to realize that the Bible was not created, was not given by God to refute evolution. Evolution came hundreds of thousands of years later. The Bible, 
does not set out to prove God's existence. The Bible does not set out to try to convince you that God created everything that is. The Bible is simply telling you like it is. From the very first words of Scripture, we have in the beginning, God. Without God, nothing exists. You see, God is evident in this world. He is evident in the Scriptures. And that does not mean that we do not have proofs of God's existence, not only in this world, but in the Scriptures that we can go to. But just realize that the Bible is fundamentally a book that reveals truth. It's not just a book to use and to go to like a textbook manual. Unless the Word of God is in us and is living through us, then we miss the purposes of Scripture. Not only does Scripture reveal God, but the second preliminary thought that we have to discuss this morning is that Scripture reveals God very specifically. Scripture reveals God in both word and action. You have to have both. Scripture, and this is from Genesis to Revelation, reveals God in both word and action. The action that reveals God are His mighty acts. The word that then reveals further who God is is the Bible's interpretation of God's mighty acts. So if we were left alone with God's actions, we would not get the full picture of what the Scriptures are trying to convey about God. So for instance, we start at the very beginning of Scripture, and we see it says, in the beginning, what did God do? We start off with the actions of God. He created the heavens and the earth. That phrase, the heavens and the earth, it is, it is language to just say everything that exists from the heavens to the earth, there is not a single thing that exists that God did not create. Everything. This happened in the beginning, referring to the beginning of God's creative acts. But then we see something further about God. In verse 1, we see God's actions, but then in verse 2, we see commentary to describe the person of God. Verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. What we see in verse 2 is after God's initial creative act, we see that this earth was still left uninhabited. It was left unformed, incomplete. In other words, God initially creates in verse 1, but verse 2 tells us there is still much to be done. 
At this point, the creation is uninhabitable. It is without order. And what God would set out to do is to make his world to reflect himself. You see, from the very beginning of scriptures, we see God's ultimate plan. We often think of eschatology or the the study of, of end time events. We often confine that to maybe the book of Revelation or select prophet passages. But Genesis 1 1 and verse 2 starts off saying, This is the trajectory to where God is headed. God is headed to have a world and a people that reflect Himself. That there is no chaos, there is no disorder. And this is where God is headed. Even though, as we will see when we study sin, the doctrine of sin, Adam messes everything up. So we see not only the mighty actions of God, but the Bible also interprets God's mighty actions to declare who he is. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Same thing with the uh, Exodus, when God delivers his people out of Egypt. It doesn't just tell us the story, but the Bible then expounds and tells us why he did what he did. To rescue his people to form a people to himself so that the beginning goals of God's purposes for his creation could be fulfilled. What we see in Genesis 1, 1, and 2. You know, it's interesting because there's a lot of discussion involving these words in verse 2, without form and void. In fact, it's kind of funny to say it in, in 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 the Hebrew, tohu avohu. It almost rhymes. Without form and void. In fact, one place in Scripture where these two, two words are used once again, without form and void, is in Jeremiah 4.23. And here God judges His people, the people of Israel, and He, and he sends them into exile. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is bewailing moaning, lamenting because of the judgment that God's people have faced. And he says very descriptively, I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and voice. And to the heavens, and they had no light. Folks, God's judgment On his people, Jeremiah is comparing to the uninhabited world before God completed his creation. That now chaos abounds. That God's purposes seem to have failed. But oh, it's later in Jeremiah that God says in Jeremiah chapter 31, in fact, you looked at it in your ABF lessons last week. God says, my purposes have not been foiled by my people. There's coming a day when I will give my people new hearts. I will put my law within their hearts. This is not the end. You see, God is a God of purpose. 
God is a God of purpose in your life. God is a God of cosmic purpose for everything in this world that he has created. Doesn't that kind of put us in our place a little bit? That we think, I mean, we face a difficulty and a struggle, and man, it's like the world stops. Because of what we are going through. But God says through the pages of Scripture, the very first two verses of of the Scriptures indicate to us that God says, do not fear. I am with you. I'm completing my purposes. And by the way, all of the rest of the world and the, the thousands upon thousands of galaxies which you don't even know about nor have, has mankind ever even seen, I'm accomplishing my purposes in all of that too. So don't worry about this issue. Put your faith in me and walk by faith, not by sight. Scripture reveals God's word and God's action. But then thirdly, I just want to point out to you, in revealing God, Scripture does indeed reveal God's glory because without God's splendor, His majesty, His greatness, you you cannot know about God without seeing these things. In the beginning, it was God who created. Now there's six false ideas that just from Genesis 1-1 are refuted. And these these are not original with me. This is taken from John Davies' uh, commentary on the book of Genesis. But I just want to give you six philosophies, six thoughts that are clearly refuted from the first verse of Genesis. Remember, The Bible is not a commentary against certain views. It just declares truth. But in declaring truth, it does shed light and help us to see error. So here's the six false ideas. First of all is atheism. From the very beginning of the Bible, it shows the existence of God. In the beginning, God That word there is Elohim. It is a word that describes the greatness of God, the person of God. And right from Genesis 1-1, as Moses pens these words, there are many gods in in the land of Canaan, as, as Moses is writing this to the children of Israel before they go into the land of Canaan. And God is saying to them, it was the one true God that created this universe, not all those other gods. You cannot take Scripture seriously and claim that there is no God. In fact, the book of Psalms says, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Not only does creation itself declare there is a God, but the Scriptures clearly state from the very beginning that God is. Secondly, the second philosophy that is clearly refuted from Genesis 1-1 is polytheism. Do you know what polytheism is? It's the study, it's the belief in many gods. Many gods. 
So like the neighbors of Israel, they worshipped a bunch of gods. I mean, you, you have a god for, for fertility. You have a god for, for crops. You have a god for the sun. You have a god for, for uh, of frogs, everything. But again, we see from Genesis 1.1, not only does God exist, but God is one. It says God created, not they created. Thirdly, the third idea that's refuted is the idea that matter is eternal. You see, Genesis 1.1 tells us that God created all matter. Matter has not always existed. It wasn't just somehow out there and then the right chemical compound or something came together and there was a big explosion. No, matter was created. It was divinely created by God. So matter cannot be eternal if we take the Scripture seriously. A fourth idea is the idea of pantheism. Pantheism is the belief that God is just a part of everything. In fact, pantheism is very popular today. We all have an inner spark of, of divinity within us. And nature has, has, has this, is, is, a, is almost like a God to be worshipped. And God is just a force. It is everything within us. It's within the trees. It's the circle of life. It's all of these things. You've heard language like that? God, Genesis 1-1 shows us, because he created everything from the heavens to the earth, the Bible clearly from the first verse of Scripture shows that he is distinct from his creation. You can see the fingerprints of God's handiwork in creation, but you will not find God as a part of creation. You see, the Bible says that because God created all things, God is above and greater than all things. Because the Creator is always greater than the creation, is it not? The fifth perspective that is refuted just from Genesis 1 1 is naturalism. Naturalism is a belief. That just everything continues as it was. I mean, things just randomly happened, and things are just going to continue to happen according to just nature with no oversight, and it's just going to continue that way. And, and, you know, if we, you know, hopefully the earth will be around long enough for our children and our children's children, and, and so on and so forth. But Genesis 1-1 tells us that God designed and created all that exists, and therefore he is sovereignly involved in his creation. The earth just doesn't naturally just keep going and keep going according to it to just no oversight. In fact, we looked in Colossians when we did our Colossians study and saw that Jesus himself holds the very elements of creation together. And then lastly, the sixth philosophy that Genesis 1-1 clearly refutes is self-realization. 
that we can truly know ourselves apart from God. That we can truly know truth apart from God. We see the the fallacy of self-realization in everything that is going on in society, in our culture. We see it in determining that there is a universe that exists by chance without the actions of a higher power. That we can determine who we are in our identities. All of this is self-realization and the Bible declares that the uniqueness of creation's origin must be revealed to us through direct revelation of truth. Now Romans 1 tells us that that people, humanity, should be able to, to just look around them at creation and see that, ah, a God does indeed exist. But the hardness of our hearts causes us to rebel, rebel even against that general revelation that God gives us. We see that apart from God's inspired, divine, specific revelation, the Scriptures, we cannot truly know ourselves. We cannot truly know truth. All of that from Genesis 1.1. So we see, first of all, these preliminary thoughts, but I want to also direct your attention, number two, that God has revealed himself, God's glory is revealed through his spoken word. His spoken word. Scriptures show us in Genesis 1 and 2 that that God creates from absolutely nothing. No pre-existing matter. God creates, ex nihilo is, is the term, out of nothing. And as God then in verse 3 begins to continue his creation to make it inhabitable, to make it orderly, to make it distinct... Notice throughout the creation story that God simply speaks creation into existence. Verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Verse 6 says, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Verse 9, it says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. Verse 11, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation. Verse 14 says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Verse 20, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. In verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. All the way down to verse 26, which we'll take some time in a few weeks to look at this. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. All of this is a spoken word from God. 
Does this not reveal the greatness and the glory of God? The only thing I can speak is to tell my kids to do something, and that doesn't even work all the time, right? Right? God speaks creation into existence. He makes inhabitable his world. He puts all of these fine touches on his creation. And we see how orderly it is. For instance, you notice when you're really comparing these six days of creation that there's parallel events. For instance, day one and day four parallel each other. That God not only says, let there be light, but then God gets more specific in day four. It says he creates the light-bearing images, the, the planets, the, the stars, the sun. Day two talks about this expanse dividing the waters. Day five talks about God putting sea creatures into the waters. Day three talks about God creating vegetation on his world. And then day six, God then adds animals into his world. And then ultimately, mankind. All of this is under the sovereignty of God. It is under the will of God, the desires of God. And get this, God's desires will not be thwarted even by mankind's choices. Does this put confidence at all in your heart concerning your God? As we saw above in Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. And as we sang this morning that the heavens uh, declare you are God, uh, the oceans rejoice, and, and they, the creation cries, Alleluia. And as Doug mentioned, uh, Jesus says, if you were to stop praising, the very rocks themselves would cry out. Folks, all that God created. I mean, did you know with all the images of space and of the universe that we do see, that we have not even begun to explore the depths of the countless galaxies, the beauty that is out there. There are parts of the deepest parts of the ocean that we have yet to even really know about. I mean, you see all the tiny creatures and all of the microscopic uh, bugs. And, 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 and yes, we're living in a fallen world and, and, and creation bears the, the marring of God's perfection just like we do. But even in that, that marring, that fallen state, the glory of God that's revealed. And God has created things that we will never even be aware of. For his own self. Because he is a creative 
God who finds pleasure in his work.